Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Troy Nunes is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today are Dan Lyons and Jared Smith. Hello. What's going on, John? Not much. Just happy about uh, what might have been the most uneventful game in months for Syracuse, if that's a thing. Honestly, I think just based on how the rest of the season is going, this is actually the weirdest game of the year. Yeah, I can agree. It had a weird little feeling there with uh, like a preseason feeling almost. I mean, hey, it had to be preseason. I mean, B.J. Johnson was doing stuff, so was Caleb Joseph. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's just how the preseason went, the early season went. So, yeah, it didn't have that weird like early season, preseason type feel to the game. But, hey, it counts to win. Uh, you know, it's it's good to have, uh, you know, whether it means anything, but it does mean it means we didn't lose to Boston College, so that's always a good thing. Yeah, the uh, the Orange Eagle points are definitely a uh, a big boost for us. Very excited about that. Very excited to kind of, I mean, not really avenge uh, last year's loss. In general, it's just nice to see everybody get back on track, and despite you know, rocking Christmas pretty much being, you know, triple and quadruple team all year all night. Um was awesome to see uh Caleb Joseph and B J Johnson uh, really show up. And obviously Michael Benajay has really kind of come on uh very, very strong um in recent weeks and, and put in yet another really solid scoring performance. Yeah, I mean it was just a really strange game overall. I mean when Rakeem Christmas is you know your fifth leading scorer, and there are four other guys with double digits, including B.J. Johnson and Caleb Joseph. You know, I, I don't know if we've had that happen since maybe, I mean, if that happened this year, it was probably in November or early December. So it was nice because uh, at, at, the, at half I was talking to someone and they were like, you know, Rack had a pretty bad half. And I'm like, yeah, we can excuse him because if not for Rack, we'd probably have like eight wins this year. Um, and I wasn't so sure that this that this was a team that could win without Rack having a, a normal like eighteen and ten, nineteen and ten game. But tonight they did. So uh good on everyone who stepped up. Especially BJ. I know the efficiency numbers aren't quite there. Four for thirteen field's not great. But Beheim has shown that he's not, you know, too reluctant to pull BJ after anything and BJ played thirty four minutes tonight. So uh clearly he was doing something right. I think defensively, B.J. Johnson was on his game tonight. I think that's how, helped him a lot. It seemed like he was a little bit more focused on defense. And, you know, I, I think that's why Bayheim kind of wanted to – it seemed like kind of wanted to reward him, especially after making a couple early shots. Uh, it seemed like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll ride him, considering that, you know, Syracuse was up at the point. And, uh, I mean – as Dan mentioned, his efficiency isn't all that great. I mean, it was nice to see him knock down a couple of early three-pointers, but 
uh, he kind of got that Ron Patterson feel for him. He just kept chucking up a lot of freaks that weren't going in, and at one point I was just screaming at him like, all right, all right, it's enough, it's enough. But uh, eventually he hit a three at the end to help kind of put the game away. Uh, and But like I said, he was uh, pretty solid. I mean, four rebounds, two blocks. Uh, he played 34 minutes, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably doubled his season average, I would think. Uh, so that was nice to see out of him. We get some a little bit more confidence, and uh, you know, obviously, if the team was eligible for the postseason, we would be wanting to look at things like this as the season progressed. Because, um, as we all could probably agree upon, if the Orange were going to make the run at the NCAA tournament, if they would need more than just you know four guys to do it. I mean, at times, even at times tonight, though. Uh, it was. It seemed like Syracuse was playing three and five at at some points, and it just sometimes it's so painful to watch them, uh, just because it you know they're so limited <laughs> on, when it comes to the roster. Uh, they basically played another six man rotation tonight. I agree, but I think you know on the positive end, what was really great about tonight was just despite some struggles, despite the fact that you know B.J. Johnson and Caleb did neither of them looked amazing for the entire game for once because there's there's no real consequence to it Beheim seemed to be perfectly fine with the two of them working out their issues and and really getting out there and you know scoring some points I mean in particular Joseph just threw down with authority um, on a couple dunks that we'll probably see on SportsCenter later tonight um and it was just—it was exciting to watch. It showed a team that actually could play in transition a little bit, um, which was for me kind of a first this season. It just, while we might not see the dividend this year, I really like this game. It's kind of um, a great tone setter for for what could be in store for us next year with even better talent coming in and potentially a Kentucky-like situation of, you know, eight to ten starters cycling in and out. Yeah, I think it was it was really nice because you didn't Caleb and and BJ played like I don't know if they were told something before the game or or Jim would let him let it ride for some reason when he's usually not doing that or or if the the lack of postseason changed his mind a little bit about things, but they definitely played with like a sense that they weren't going to get pulled for every little thing. I mean, I think Caleb might have gotten taken out after that really awful turnover in the first half. But otherwise, like, Jim just let them go, even when BJ took, a, you know, a couple of bad shots early in the shot clock or Caleb uh, had some other stuff go, you know, wasn't making the perfect plays. Like, we had a, one of those awkward, like, he jumped in the lane like Carter Williams could do and then threw a turnover because he uh, didn't have anyone to go to. But it seemed like Beheim just was way – he coached the team it felt like, differently than he has in the past. and. I don't know if he's just playing things looser because there's, you know, that lack of pressure now without the postseason on the line, but it seemed to, to resonate with those two, which is good. They 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 need to develop. Uh, those are, you know, Ron Patterson is what he is, is uh, but Joseph and, and Johnson are the two youngest guys on the team. Um, they both add, I mean, they both fill holes that we desperately need filled. And uh, if they start to have gain some kind of, uh, you know, confidence and momentum going into the offseason, I think that'd be really good. Right. I mean, I think for the rest of this year, the, the bathing is gross. Uh, you can go before Jared. Oh, no, no. I was just uh, looking at the 
of realizing that tonight's wind uh, locked at for Jim Beheim and when it comes to uh, not having a losing season, even if the Orange lose out this year, uh, six, their, their record would be 16 and 15. So there we go. Avoided the catastrophe. Thank God for small victories. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and I think for the rest of the year, um, both for all of us in terms of people writing about the team and just for fans in general, I think the little victories and things like that are, are good to, to kind of grasp onto. At the end of the day, the team is still very flawed. This team still had, you know, a serious injury to one of their starters. And if they can pull off, you know, 19, 20 wins, no, I wouldn't consider it, especially because we're not going to be in a postseason game. But at the same time, I, I think there's a lot um, of good to be gleaned. The one thing, because um, I know we talked about growth and, and kind of setting up for next year a little bit, the one thing that really concerns me at this point, especially late in that game, um, where the hell is Chino Oboko and, and why aren't we giving him a little bit more burn, considering, again, there is nothing to play for. Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick. I just, I don't know if Bayhan's ready to uh, uh, kind of, you know, pull the reins back that far. I think he's still going to want to give Rack his burn. I mean, if you start playing deep bench guys that you haven't been playing all season, then you really – are, you know, <laughs> making it look like you really don't care. Behind's still going to play like he's going to win, and he doesn't want, you know, probably doesn't want to send somebody out there to get embarrassed. But I guess BC would be the the, the game to have it uh, to do it. But I think moving forward, it was just more of a, a ploy and Behind trying to, you know, continue with the consistent rotation uh, and get, get the guys who think he gives the best chance to win. So... That's why I think it's, it's going to be that way. The rest of the way, uh, I mean, go moving forward, I think. Dan, are we on the uh, are we in the free Chino bandwagon yet? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because we we really haven't had games like this is the first double digit win since. Uh, a month ago on, on January 11th and in Florida State, which uh, 70 to 57 games, so just one point difference. But there really hasn't been the opportunity, and, and maybe tonight he could have gotten off the bench. Um, but I don't know. I'm not quite sure why why we're so reluctant to play him at all. Um, but hopefully, that's a, I don't really know where he's going to play from now. But uh, it depends. On, I, I don't think they have an approach to blatantly try to get guys minutes and not worry about the result. I think he's going to try to win every game. Uh, that being said, if there's spots to get, you know, like five or ten minutes here and there, I'd totally be for that. But I don't know. It's hard to anticipate how he's going to handle these last couple of games because I'm sure, at you know, in the back of his mind, he, you know, understands that the, the, the fans want to see wins and not everyone's going to be thinking about player development, so it's it's a tough balance. Um, I mean, the team's only won by double digits. I'm just counting really quick. Like, maybe eight or nine times this year, which isn't generally uh, the norm, so I, I, I don't know. If, if, he, if he didn't do it tonight, I'm not totally uh, optimistic that we're going to see it much down the stretch with 
you know, five games against top ten teams in our last seven. But we'll see what happens. I mean, we could always, you know, maybe jump out on Pitt or, or NC State and try, you know, make something happen there. But I, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I mean, these last few games, uh, well, not few, but like last, like, you know, seven games or so, um, are really just brutal um, in every way, shape, and form. Um, I know I alluded to it in the uh, the BC preview um, that, that I, I was very, very, uh, you know, wary about Syracuse being able to win 20 games. If you look at those last seven or so, in the two against Duke, you got Pitt, you got Notre Dame, you got NC State, you got Louisville, Virginia. It, it just seems like. 20 wins isn't in the cards, and, I mean, no, we're not going to have a lot of games where, you know, SU is up 20 for the rest of the time. I, I don't think it's going to happen at all, to be honest. But uh, I, I do wonder if Beheim doesn't throw in the towel necessarily, but thinks to himself, okay, like, need to start building for next year. It doesn't mean that you, you discredit, you know, Rocking Christmas's uh, end of his career, but you might want to take – you know, a look at what what could be next year. And, and to me, I think Chino's the key. And I think there's other players, too. I think more time for B.J. Johnson. I think he's already accepted the fact that uh, Buzz Patterson's likely to transfer this offseason. But uh, a couple a couple different players who could really step up. Uh, again, we saw some of that tonight, but I'd really like to see some of Aboko in there just because him and Roberson in the middle, um, along with Chris McCullough and others, just seem like a natural fit um, and a natural progression this season uh, when we have some minutes to give um, to toss them in and see what they can do and prep for next year. I don't know. I wouldn't automatically uh, assume anyone's transferring, if only because um, Buss is is pretty old already for a sophomore. Um, I'm not sure... Uh, if you might just want to stick it out, I, I know he's close to a lot of the players in the team, and um, you know I, I don't know if it's right to assume, just flat out assume that uh, he won't get better next year. But um, I don't know. We haven't really heard any rumblings, and there's only been a pretty small group of transfers from Syracuse in general. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not wishing uh, for anyone to leave the program, but it, it wouldn't totally shock me if it happens. But I don't think there have been any real rumblings about it outside of fans just kind of like assuming that someone has to go. Yeah, I'm with Dan there. I don't think – I mean, it, it's it was funny because I know we've had a couple discussions here and there uh, on the in the concert, uh, contributors kind of uh, chat room that we have about, you know, guys leaving or who we want, some people want transferring and stuff like that. It's just, you know, it's for me, it's very tough to give up on some of these kids, especially with their first full year of playing, them being first-year players or second-year players, just seeing real time for the first time. So, I mean, if we did that to a lot of Syracuse players that have come through the fold, like, you know, Cooney, Raheem Christmas, uh, the list goes, you know, uh, Jardine, I mean, the list goes on and on with all these guys that kind of – they really struggled their first or second years and then slowly developed into a solid player in the third or fourth years. Uh, and Patterson can be a fan. The one thing I really like about Patterson is he does seem like he 
at, at times he's on the floor, since he can play with all, with confidence. His passing ability is fantastic. Uh, he can handle the ball pretty well. It's just he's just struggling to make any shots. And I don't know, you know, if he's that type of player that is a scorer. But, you know, when it push comes to shove, maybe down the road, he's just one of those good glue guys that are, you know, come off the bench in case you need them if somebody else is struggling or you need another ball handler on the floor. Um, B.J. Johnson, he might be, you know, develop in a, 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 as soon as he gets stronger and learns how to play a little bit more defense. Uh, could be a good, you know, stand-up shooter uh, in the corner if somebody could find him. Uh, and then you, you look at, I mean, Roberson's going to be good. So, I mean, I don't like to give up on these guys. Uh, Chino, you, you could, he could, you never know. He could be by year three or four, uh, he'd just be one of a solid backup setter that comes in and gives you those defensive minutes. So I never want to push anybody out, especially this earlier in their, in their collegiate careers. Cause it just takes so, so sometimes it just takes guys so, so long to, to develop. And if they don't develop, they're just riding the bench. Um, I don't think any of these guys are really going to transfer anywhere else. Maybe BJ Johnson would be, the, the lone guy that would transfer to go play somewhere else, but he even showed tonight that he's not right. I mean, he, even if he transfers, he's not going to be a star anywhere. So, I mean, it, it, these guys have a lot of development to do, and they'll do in the offseason, and that's where you hope they improve. All right, I'll take that. Um... So I guess for the rest of the year, uh, we can kind of start with the Duke game. Um, what do we see happening? Is there any chance for an upset? Uh, I know at one point it was, you know, a marquee game on a schedule. Everyone was excited. And now uh, we're seeing kind of a rash of, of, of alums selling tickets. Uh, I know I'll be in Vegas. And, and while I at one point had considered, you know, kind of settling in for the game, <laughs> I'm now reconsidering. Uh, that being a primary activity while I'm there. Um, so, so for you guys, I mean, is, again, is there any chance that, that we pull the upset against Duke? And what, what's your outlook for the rest of the season? I think we got through most of the roster stuff, so I really think it's just a question now of, of what do you guys think about wins and losses. Um, I would like to say that I think the team can pull an upset against Duke at the Dome. I mean, Duke has lost some weird games this year, um, Syracuse. You know, this is a pretty impressive performance tonight, albeit it's a pretty bad team. Um, it's just the, the depth thing scares me a lot. Duke's not the deepest team in the world, especially after losing Suleiman, but they still have more than SU does. Uh, and just, I think, I think you know, everyone's going to say it because it's a very easy thing to point to, but the Christmas Okafor matchup is really going to be the one that I think decides it. Um, Okafor is super talented on offense, but Defensively, he's a mess, um, especially when uh, Duke is playing man. Uh, there's a reason they go to zone a lot, and it's, it's I think primarily because Okafor uh, is really uncomfortable playing away from the basket. Um, and Rack has shown a little bit of uh, you know he, he's not really he doesn't have a ton of range, but he has he can take guys off the dribble a little bit, and he can uh, you know get to the basket from when touching the ball at the foul line. Um, so I expect. To see a lot of that, I I also expect to see Duke go into that zone a lot because of the, you know, inconsistent shooting from SU. So if, if oh. Benajay and Tooney can get hot, if Rack can have, like, a, a really, you know, big-time performance and not get into foul trouble, 
uh, and take it to Okafor. I think we have a shot. Um, but otherwise, I think this is going to have to be a game where everything goes right. But it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if SU stayed in it because, again, we've been losing all these games, but Syracuse hasn't really been blown out. Uh, that Cal game was the only one that was really pretty ugly but at the end, and, and that seems to be uh, almost kind of a fluke. SU hasn't lost by, you know, the, the biggest – the other biggest uh, loss was Clemson, um, which just kind of got away from SU at the end, and then UNC was was way closer than in the scoring teams. Um, as far as the rest of the season, I, I'd love for this team to get to 20 wins again. I know that's kind of been a, a baseline that Bayheim's hit, I think, more often than anyone else in history. Uh, I just can't see it. Um, if you pencil in wins against Pitt and NC State, which isn't wise to do because both those teams are about as good as Syracuse, if not a little better, um, you still need what uh, three more, or two more after that. Two more. Of two Duke games, a Notre Dame game, a Louisville game, and a UVA game. So if you think we're going to uh, win two of those five, uh, more power to you, but I'm not sure I see it. Yeah, I, I'm with Dan in the sense when it comes to the Duke game, to all, almost all his points hit on what I would have said, that Duke's probably going to play a lot more zone. At least you're expecting them to, uh, especially with the rack inside and then trying to make Syracuse's shooters make jump shots, which, you know, maybe they can. Maybe they get hot, like Dan said. Um, also, with that Duke playing zone, it leaves a little bit more room for, you know, Roberson or Rack to get a couple more rebounds, hopefully. Um so maybe that becomes an advantage. But the thing with Duke right now, I mean, they just got so many guys that can score. I mean, the, the Syracuse is just going to have to, you know, play one of their best offensive games. And we've seen it recently. I mean, Syracuse has really kind of picked it up offensively uh, in the last, you know, four games here. Uh, they're playing pretty fluid. Uh, I mean, I, even starting with the weight game, you know, in mid-January, they played really good offense. And that was a lot dependent on pace. Um, you know, they struggle against Clemson, but they're a good defensive team. Uh, you kind of struggle against Miami, but they're a slow, slow-paced team too. So, I mean, if they're going to play up and down, they can, they've can. they shown that they can score uh, the basketball. And I, I, the game against Duke, I, I would say that I wouldn't be shocked uh, with an upset here just because it's going to be Syracuse's Super Bowl game or it's going to be their, you know, Final Four game, whatever they need to do. I mean, they're going to come up strong. And, you know, one thing would Rack would love to have, uh, and, you know, those guys playing with him would love to have is for them to beat Duke on his, you know, on his last chance to beat Duke at home. So, I mean, there'll be a lot of going behind them. And then overall landscape, you know, I, I've always said this even before the postseason man came out. I like their matchup against Virginia. I know Virginia has a lockdown defense, but the fact that Syracuse can kind of, uh, but they, UVA doesn't score a whole lot, so that usually gives give teams opportunities. So I th- I kind of like that. So I can see that, my, uh, especially now with Justin Anderson gone for pretty much the end of the season for uh, the Cavaliers, uh, that matchup could be something there. Uh, but getting the 20 wins, it's like Dan said, it's going to be really tough. Uh, they got to win four to the seven games. Um, and five games are against kind of teams in the top ten, and two of those uh, are, are in three of those are on the road. You're still going at, at NC State for the season finale, so um, it'll be a good goal to try to get to 20 wins, and that would probably be the mark they would have to get to if they wanted to make the NCAA tournament. So uh, if you know Syracuse's goal is to at least say, hey, 
we did what we had to do to get in the NCAA tournament, and we're not there. So, you know, it, we can hang our hats on that. So, I, but I just don't – maybe three of the four, but I don't see four to four in the last seven. Yeah, I mean, overall, it just seems like um, seems like a tough task, not an impossible one, but a tough one nonetheless. Um, you know, it really isn't a gimme left on the schedule. I, I think for me, um, there are definitely some possibilities. I think I think Duke's possibility is a lack of depth. Okafor um, is very susceptible to getting uh, getting roughed up a bit in the middle. Uh, for Duke, I, I think for UVA, there's. It's not that they're overrated. I don't want to say that. Um, I, I just, it's hard for me to buy into them. I didn't really buy into them last year either. Um, they just seem like they're missing that key element for a title, and maybe that's just an elite score, whatever it may be. Um, there's just there's something not clicking for me in terms of a team ready to win all. And, you know, I think the NC State game's uh, a possibility for us. I think Pitt is as well. So the possibility's there, but, again, it, it, it's a question of, um, I think this team's focus, uh, whether or not we're really, you know, up for it in, in terms of, of mentally, like what are we seeing from this team at that time? So I think it really is going to depend game to game. Um I think what we saw from them tonight is a very good sign going forward, but again, we've seen that before um, throughout this season, and the next game we'll see a huge drop-off. Um, so I think we're going to have to go uh, night-to-night, game-to-game, and just kind of gauge it. Um, I'll, I'll say 19 wins on the season, but um, if we fall short there, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the least. Uh, I think what... Go for it, Jack. No, no, I'll tell you, I think the overall goal, right, if we're, we're going to agree, is just to have every critic or every media outlet or media pundit out there at least uh, at, by the time the regular season's done, them, all of them being going, oh, well, at least, you know, they, they would have had a postseason ban, like a real postseason ban. So like, that's what you're shooting for by the end of the season is that Syracuse can rally up a couple of wins, uh, nice wins. In the stretch where you know they were, they would have made the tournament or had a shot at the tournament. So uh, everybody can shut up about Syracuse not making the postseason, or it would have been it wouldn't have mattered, you know, if the, with the postseason ban. So that's what you're shooting for more than anything else. And I think 19 to 20 wins could get you there, depending on who who it's against. Right. Um. I guess that kind of leads us to a good uh, kind of segue into Virginia. Um, it's not like we're just going to bounce around all the teams, but I think Virginia's worth talking about. Um, team's been, you know, at or near the top of the polls for, for the majority of the season. Uh, do either of you believe um, in the Hoos and their kind of their ability to, to grow into a title contender, their ability to stay in an elite level. Uh, they mirror Syracuse in a lot of ways, as we saw last year. Uh, is, is this a team that that has you excited for March, believing in March, or is this a team that's once again going to hang around today with the Sweet 16, and, and that's kind of their ceiling? Uh, and I'll go to you first, Dan. 
Um, I, I believe in Virginia, I'd say, uh, probably a lot more than you do, um, if only because they were they have a, they're building a little bit of a pedigree uh, from last year. It wasn't like they they got you know upset by some you know they they were the ones who lost to Dayton last year. Not to not to poke fun at our, ourselves, but they lost to a very talented Michigan State team uh, in a pretty close game, if I remember correctly, in the Sweet Sixteen last year. Um, they're not winning all these ACC games over two years by accident. Uh, I think they have more depth than people give them credit for. Uh, where you have guys like. London Francis, who's not a, a great scorer, but he's a pretty rock solid, um, you know, pass first point guard. I think he's taking a little bit of a step back in terms of his, his shooting percentage is pretty bad this year, but uh, he's also good from the line, which is nice. They have three guys who are over 80% from the line and two more who are over 70%, uh, all in their top six in minutes, so they close people out pretty well. Uh, very balanced roster overall uh, in terms of, you know, they don't have guys playing 40 minutes a game. And then I think, I think Brogdon uh, is a legit top flight ACC player. Um, the Anderson injury is going to be tricky because, you know, he's their second leading scorer. Uh, he's their best three point shooter. So if they get him back for, for March Madness uh, at Cold Bore and he's doing everything he needs to do, I'd say uh, they do have a legitimate shot to, uh, make a run. I don't think there are really that many great teams in college basketball this year um, that impressed me more than Virginia. I think at their best, Kentucky's obviously up there, um, and they haven't lost yet, but they've had so many run-ins, including last night, with pretty mediocre SEC teams that should have won the game if they've survived at least three or four of these. I'm not convinced that their luck will run out at some point before the title game. I'm not convinced that it won't happen. Uh, I think teams like Wisconsin and Iowa State have a more talent than Virginia, but um, I don't know. The, the, the Hoosiers keep on winning. They, I think Tony Bennett's one of the best coaches in college basketball right now, and he's proving that. Um, so I don't know that they're a Final Four team, uh, but I certainly don't haven't seen anything to dissuade me from the notion that they might get there. Yeah, I think Virginia's a fantastic team. Uh, it's you know, that's a, they're not the most exciting team to watch, that's for sure. Um, and they play good team basketball. Tony Bennett's kind of playing fantastic together. And, you know, they don't have the superstar players that many other top-level uh, programs have. And because of that, they've had to kind of simplify things. And Bennett's done a good job of just making everyone buy into their system, which is just play fantastic defense, uh, team defense, and then, you know, take advantage of good looks on the offense. I mean, they're, you know, they don't score a ton, but they're very efficient on offense, and they shut down teams uh, when it comes to their scoring. So, I mean, but the thing that concerns me about Virginia, and this goes a lot with basketball in general, is uh, being if you're a bad team and you have a good defense, it will keep you in games. Like, if you look at Clemson, that's exactly what they do. You know, they don't have a lot of offense, but they play fantastic defense for 40 minutes, and usually that's going to keep them in games. As for if you're a good team and you have a so-so offense, um, but you have a great defense, usually that can lead to you, you know, getting upset. I mean, that's that's the only issue is, you know, the the really good teams come March – you know, and you see this every year. It's not 
you know, you have to play good defense. You have to make a stop at the end of the game. But in the end, you're going to have to score more than the other guy. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, Syracuse made their run. It's because they decided to score over 70 points a game almost every game. Uh, and it just in the the UConn's title runs recently where they just got hauled on offense. I mean, guys were playing out of their mind and making baskets. Um, you, you need to play good defense, but in the end, uh, you can get a team can get hot and beat you, and if you're not able to keep up with them on the scoreboard, that's, that can be an issue. Uh, and I think that's one of Virginia's downfalls uh, heading into March is, you know, they may be able to shut the lower teams down and getting into the second week, but once they find teams that can, you know, get hot outside or, you know, just start making shots, are they going to have enough to get back into the game or, or are they going to have enough to overcome? You know, it's, that's that's my only concern with them. I think they're a great team. Uh, I think they can make a run just because they have that team team bonding, which I really enjoy. Um, but it's just, it, to me, there's still there's a lot of question marks on offense, and that's always a concern for me heading into March. Fair enough. Uh, I think this is a good time to kind of split off quick and uh, talk about some beer. Uh, we haven't done that in quite a while. So uh, give you guys a second to uh, to tee up some stuff. But well, I will, ball, I, I will I, I'll say I'll ball out because I'm, it's, it's winter for me. <laughs> and as you know, during the winter, uh, it, I, the Smith household shuts it down when it comes to the booze. So, uh, yeah. uh, though this year has been a little bit more lenient, I will say when it comes to having a beer here or there, because uh, we've had some fa- family events and uh, the Super Bowl, I indulged a little bit. But, uh, yeah, when it comes to the winter, I, I, we, I shut it down pretty good. So, not too many beer men drinking here. There's a lot of uh, Keystone lights with the family. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the beer of choice in the Smith household when it comes to my father's family. So, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can edit this later, right? Yes, we can. <laughs> oh, I, don't worry, fellas. I can't wait till the summer where I can get some microbreweries and all that good, good, big beer that I like to drink during the summer. But it doesn't happen most during the winter. Fair enough. Fair enough. Dan, how about yourself? Oh, well, we haven't done this for a few weeks, so I have a decent list. Um, of things that I've had uh, over the last probably month or so since we did this last. Um, let, me, let me just try to pick out a few uh, that I enjoyed. Um, I had the... Uh, sorry, my phone is being very slow with the uh, untapped. Um, the Mermaid Pilsner from Coney Island. Uh, just a pretty straight Pilsner, but, you know, very refreshing, um, which are very drinkable, which is always good. Uh 5.2 alcohol by volume, which is, you know, pretty standard for a pills. Um, I'm not usually a huge pills guy, but, it, you know, occasionally you just kind of want something that, that crisp and goes down easy, and that was good. Um, the It's a little out of season now. My friend had bought one for me, and, and I hadn't seen him for a while, uh, and he came over up to down to New York here. Um, he brought the uh, Southern Tears, uh, their Warlock, which is their, uh, I believe it's a a double stout pumpkin, um, if I'm not mistaken. I actually have the bottle, which I can look at real quick. Imperial stout pumpkin, uh, which is not 
all that much like the pump the pump team that they make. Uh, a lot darker, but so fully flavored. Uh, really unbelievable. It was a little late to be drinking it because we're very solidly out of the fall beers, uh, almost into spring now. But uh, I didn't play. I didn't mind it. It was, it, you know, one of the better beers they put out. Um, and they get those flavors. They do those flavored beers uh, about as well as anyone else. Um, and then also my southern tier. I just had their their live, which is a, a pale ale, uh, which I hadn't had before. Uh, it was uh, at a bar up by me here, uh, far uptown in, in Manhattan. Uh, really good, uh, fully flavored, um, but you know, very very good hop profile, but nothing you know too crazy for those who don't like the, the super bitterness. Um, and you know, just just really nice pale ale overall. I, I hadn't seen it before. I think it's something. I think it's fairly new for them, but uh, definitely go uh, check that out, especially because I'm, I'm sure you guys can find up in the Syracuse area you find most of the newer Southern Tier stuff far easier than I can. Uh, and then a, a, a standby from Fagan, uh whenever I wasn't, you know, drinking some Owe Gang stuff or, or something like that, uh, Dale's Pale Ale, always very solid, uh, very solid brew from the Master Blues, which... You know, you can find most places, I feel like. Anywhere with a, a, a pretty robust beer, let's find Dale. So that's always a good standby, I think. Agreed. Definitely a uh, a usual on the uh, even California tap list. I mean, between that and uh, and Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale, you're usually good to go. Um, I'm not going to go that far back on mine just because that would take forever. Uh, but some recent things I've had that I really enjoyed. Uh, I was down at Monkish Brewing last Sunday. Uh, they had St. Mosaic, just a pale ale featuring Mosaic hops. Uh, really enjoyable beer. Also had a Sourento from the brewery. Um, kind of a limoncello-inspired uh, sour blonde. It was, I was skeptical about it, but you know what? It ended up being really, really interesting. I'm glad that I I snagged that one. Uh was down in San Diego a few weeks back, so I got to grab myself a six-pack of grapefruit sculpin. So no regrets there. Um, had some Russian River Consecration, as well as some uh, Loma Land from Modern Times. Had a bunch of Modern Times, actually. Uh, was just down there uh, when I was in San Diego. And um, they have a lot of great stuff going on right now. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't leave California, but for those who can acquire it, I would definitely recommend it because they have some great stuff. Um, and then uh, another one I grabbed, uh, do these hops make my beer look big from Stone Brewing Company. Um, everyone knows Stone is all about hops, all about being obnoxious about hops. Um, this beer kind of hammers that point home. Uh, for those who want a comparison point, I'd say it's a toned-down um, version of Delicious IPA. They're uh, the one that just appeared in six-packs uh, both places. Um, and I felt like this one was, was at least a decent comparison to that. If you, if you really weren't looking to to get punched in the face with just a, a handful of hops. Seems all lovely. You're all torturing me. You know, Jared. As soon as you're out of there, you can swim in this stuff. No, I I like it. I enjoy. I always like uh, reading through the comments and see what uh, beers to try. Though I, it seems like you guys do. Uh, are you guys more like a 
one of my best friends who's like huge into you know like microbrews and stuff like that. He likes beer like the most bitter beer you could possibly get, uh, like you know ten percent alcohol or whatever it is. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, and I'm not like that. I like it in between like you know the five and a half to like sometimes I get it can get up in like the seven percent range, but depending on the, the flavor of the beer. So I like a like a the pilsners or something if it's going to be a little darker, but uh, and sweeter, but uh, it seems like you guys are, are you guys more like into the bitter area, like high uh, high percentage alcohol content, or are you just all over? I mean, knowing I Dan, I know he's more into Belgians, and uh, I know he loves pumpkin beers. I'm a big pumpkin guy. Yeah, Belgians are always good, and then uh, I've definitely gotten more into pale ales recently. Not not as much, you know, which are not quite as hoppy, not quite as bitter as like IPAs. But every so often, like I'll, if there's not like a huge uh, beer list somewhere, I, I feel like going with an IPA is always pretty safe because most of the most of the IPAs that are out are at least pretty decent. I think it's hard to find like a bad IPA, but you can find a bad Pilsner, you can find a bad like right. standard lager. Oh, for sure, and I think it goes even more so on the West Coast. Um, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a bad IPA, but at the same time, because there are so many IPAs out here, um, your tastes kind of get elevated to the point where, you know, some things that, that might be okay otherwise could start to seem bad, so you're really kind of searching out the best of the best. Uh, for me, I'm definitely much more of a an IPA and double IPA guy. I'm into the dank, bitter, you know, nine to twelve percent double IPAs and it's not the only thing I drink. I, I like to diversify but but you give me a good uh double IPA, it's usually a good bet and I'm, I'm gonna enjoy it. Okay. It, it is fun it, it it is funny, like my the my way my palate works is like the beginning of the season, especially in the spring when I get back and uh, drinking, I do start with like darker beers. Like if I'm drinking regularly, I'll like drink a yingling and stuff like that or like try uh, you know, a microbrew here or there if it's on tap or where I'm at. Uh, but as the season, like, progresses through the summer and the drinking intake goes up more and more, the, like, the, the, the palate gets lighter and lighter. So by the time, like, the fall rolls around where, like, football season and basketball season are here, it's, like, all light beer. It's all it's just, like, American light beer because I'm consuming so much as as uh as the year moves around, so that's that's. I always, I always find that interesting about myself how that how that uh, slowly like it builds throughout the whole year. Uh, I'm not sure if you read this, John, but I think uh, just some of the IPA talk probably came from a. I think there was a Deadspin article by Will Dorden who does other beer stuff about the new double IPA that that uh, that Sam Adams put out, and he was kind of talking about how the companies that you know, will invest in, in brewing an IPA are, aren't generally the ones that might mess it up or put out a bad one. So it's not really worth a company to put out that kind of product if they're not going to do at least a decent job with it, which, which seems about right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree there. I mean, at this point, companies like Sierra Nevada and, and, and Stone, who have really uh, established a standard for, for what a hoppy uh, West Coast-style IPA is and you look elsewhere, you know, places like Aylesmith and Green Flash, and, and there's so many brewers that come out with IPAs um, on the West Coast and it's emulated. I, I think that 
I, I did read that article the other day, and I think that it's true. Um, I'm automatically skeptical of the Sam Adams IPA or double IPA, if only because, um, you know, they themselves are not big fans of the style, and that's always a, a red flag for me. If they're doing it well, that's, that's something definitely taking into consideration. But I think it depends on the part of the uh, country you're in, too. Uh, certain parts of the country just do sours better. Other parts of the country just do stouts and, and, and porters better. Um, I know, like, personally, when I'm trading, um, I'm usually trading West Coast IPAs for um, East Coast and Midwest stouts and porters um, more often than not, if only because it's just it's a great exchange of style. Um, yeah, I, I do think that, that if a new brewer is going to come onto the scene, unless you're going to have some transformative, um, you know, Pliny the Elder level um, IPA, I think any new brewer would be much better off um, investing in, especially in California, but but anywhere really, uh, a really good stout, a really good porter. It doesn't even have to be bourbon barrel aged, you know, just your standard kind of, you know, five to seven percent, you know, really strong yet smooth stouter porter. I think could go a long way. I think oh, we're seeing souring, uh, you know, start to grow a lot more, and there's very few, uh, you know, good souring facilities in, in California. Um, and I think that that's where other parts of the country can really eat us, at least at current, if they choose to go the uh, the brewing, the, you know, the the microbrewing route. It, it is definitely a, a great space to be in because you know you're not going to release a sour unless it's good. Um, but still, there, there are just so few places that can do it right. But yeah, I guess that's all on beer. Um, here's closing thoughts. Uh, you know what? Let's let's go into what we we've done in the past. A little uh, little bracketology action. Give it a give everybody a few to to pull it up. We can chat through some bracketology. See who's gonna get themselves to the final four. I was kind of out of the loop this weekend as I had family stuff, so I didn't see a whole lot of games. But let's see what Lundin already has got going on for us this week. Yeah, not that he's the end-all, be-all, but I know we've discussed before. It's just it's usually a good it's usually a good place to start, um, if only because um, you know it allows us all to really go through the same bracket and make the same predictions. Yeah, it looks like I'm good to go here. So uh, it's the one with Kentucky yeah, yeah. and then Oklahoma State and Xavier at the 8 and 9. Is that the February 9th? Uh, the most recent is this one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I got Fed Knife up. Yep. All right. Uh, so, Jared, starting with you, what do we got uh, quick? What is your elite eight in each bracket? In each bracket here, what are we looking? At? I like. Let's start. What are we going to start? Let's start with the eight. Well, we're going to start with. Let's go left to right here. So Midwest, where they have Kentucky as the one, Kansas as the two, uh, North Carolina. See, I do like North Carolina. Uh, if they can get their act together, Providence is a good sneaky little thing. It is a succeed there. Notre Dame, like I said before, I'm never going to buy the Notre Dame until they actually do something in a tournament. 
Um, obviously, I'm going to have Kentucky probably winning the whole thing uh, this year, unless Wisconsin can kind of convince me moving forward. So Kentucky and probably Kansas out of that group, but I don't even, I'm not even sold on Kansas. That's That would be a good little uh, – group there, but maybe let's go with North Carolina, because I like a, a sneaky pick there. Uh, East Virginia, maybe? Let's see who they got to go against. Uh, Northern Iowa is a good little sneaky one that beat them, but I don't think anybody's going to really keep up with them with Virginia. So let's go with Virginia, and then um, Iowa State, that's always a good pick. They're good. Down to the south, uh, I'm going to go with Duke, Wisconsin, uh, the two best teams in that that's a wicked bracket right there. Um so Duke and Wisconsin and then who we got in the other in the West here? Gonzaga, Georgia. Let's play Maryland. I still like Maryland. So I probably picked them to make be my big upset coming out of with the fifth seed. Um Let's see here. And then Louisville, Arizona. Man, that's, that's a tough little pick in the bottom there. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't really know. Maybe Louisville or the whole group. Arizona, to me, I, I, I'm not really I, – I only think they get the two seed because uh, they're out west playing on a team. So maybe Louisville, if that's the way the bracket works out for them. Dan, how about yourself? Um, I kind of agree with a lot of that. Uh, Kentucky, I think, is the obvious one out of the, the Louisville region. Um, I, I don't, I'm not in love with North Carolina, if only because I really feel like Marcus Page has kind of been a disappointment this year. Um, but the team keeps on winning, and none of those other teams uh, totally impressed in Kansas. I feel like hasn't really sta- – they, they've won some decent games, but the Big 12 offers a lot of decent games. Um but I feel like they haven't. They don't. They don't seem like a team that's going to go on a, a tournament run. I. I mean, I thought that team last year was a lot better than this one, and and they obviously we saw what happened to them. Um, and I'm not sold on Providence this year. Um, you know, Ole Miss, Temple, ODU even can be kind of pesky. But I'm going to take North Carolina if only by default. I think that's kind of a, a weak part of the bracket. Um, over in the East. Uh, that second round game for Virginia should be really tricky. If the Michigan State's not that good this year, I think that that name will scare them, scare people more than the actual team will. But Texas, I still think has a lot of talent. They just haven't figured it out. Shockingly, you know, Rick Barnes hasn't gotten in, uh, everything he can out of a team. Uh, raise your hand if you're surprised. Um, I don't think anyone's raising their hand. Uh, so I'll take Virginia. As I said before, I think they're just a rock solid team. Butler's sneaky in there at the five, but I'll take. I'll take UVA. Um, and I'm a big proponent of Iowa State. They've had some bad losses this year, but I think in terms of just pure talent and pure team makeup when they're firing in all cylinders, they're like a top five to ten month in terms of talent. Uh, I'm not – I think Villanova is incredibly overrated. Uh, Ohio State could also make a run. I'm, I'm very quickly joining the cult of uh, D'Angelo Russell. He's incredible. Probably the best guard in the country. Uh, I'll take Iowa State, though, by a hair over Ohio State. Um, The South is tricky. Uh, Duke, um, I I think they're probably the best team, but they've had a a little bit of an issue getting out of early games. Uh, Iowa and Stanford, um, 
both pose some issues. Iowa has been a pretty solid team, probably the best win on Syracuse's now pointless resume. Stanford is chasing uh, chasing uh, Randall, who's a really legit scorer, and then VCU is lurking there. And Baylor is, you know, Baylor's Baylor. They probably will flame out. Um, in the bottom, I'm gonna go with Wisconsin, which is kind of a boring pick. Uh, Utah, I like, but I'm not sold on their offense. Georgetown uh, can, you know, burn for eternity. Uh, LSU, uh, not, I don't think they have a top level score. Um, we saw last night they had trouble closing that game in Kentucky when they really should have won. And then in the West, I actually hadn't had a chance to finish going through it. I have no idea what to make of Indaga. Um, I'm going to take Maryland out of that top portion, uh, if only because Mella Trimble is probably the best player in that uh, in that that region. Um, and then in the bottom, I'm going to take West Virginia, uh, just because I, I think Arizona – has been a little inconsistent for my taste, and, and I think they're, they've are they shown their youth a bit. And, and I don't know. For some reason, I just haven't had a great feeling about them. And West Virginia, I know they had a bad loss to Baylor recently. Uh, but for some reason, I think that they're just going to be a pesky team down the stretch. And, and Louisville's also in that. They played Louisville in the second round. But Louisville just seems like kind of a mess on offense this year. Um, someone said that, well, I saw one of the big basketball yeah, writers asked about Louisville and their NCAA tournament chances this year, and they said that was, like, the least upside Louisville team they could remember in terms of tournament uh, hype, and I kind of agree with that. Um, usually I, I like Louisville in the tournament, but this year I, I just I don't feel that roster really. Yeah, I – I think there's a lot of truth to all that. I think in general, all these brackets, and we discussed this when SU was actually contending for a thought. Um, a lot of them are hot garbage. There's just a lot of teams that just don't impress. Um, I mean, Kentucky's obvious. I, I think, you know, starting in the Midwest, um, there's not much that can test Kentucky, uh, especially given that Notre Dame is, is a clown fraud at, at four. I think you're probably looking at Kentucky and North Carolina, um, just by default, um, almost. There's just not, again, there's just not a ton that can challenge either team. I, I think really outside of the top maybe 10 teams or so, and I don't even think the top 10 are that far away from the rest, but I think the top 10 teams or so are just completely far and away better uh, equipped for the tournament. Um, and it just so happens that their paths to get to the Elite Eight are better. Um, but I'll go Kentucky, North Carolina, um, in the Midwest. In the East, I, I think this is I think this is all about upsets um, in the East. I, I could see this being a complete bloodbath. I really like the talent Texas has, even if they haven't been able to get it together yet. I'm going to go with a very uh, controversial bracket uh, for the Elite Eight. I'm going Texas and Arkansas for the, uh, for the Elite Eight there. I just think that, that we're definitely going to see a, a lower seed get through, and, and it might be out of this bracket. Um, two teams that are talented, uh, just haven't been able to pull the pieces together. Um, you know, we've talked about kind of teams like Iowa State that may have struggled, uh, teams like Villanova that might be overrated. There's just too much to consider um, with every one of these top teams, including Virginia. Uh, so I'm I'm going in on Texas and Arkansas. Uh, in the South, uh, Duke is not the team that maybe a lot of people would consider them to be. Um in that top five or so, but at the same time, because of the bracket presented in front of them, um, you know, I don't buy 
Iowa, Stanford, VCU, Baylor. It's like, no, that's going to happen. So Duke's getting through uh, the Elite Eight, if only because of the competition in front of them. Um, and while I really want to pick Utah, I'm going to have to go with Wisconsin. Uh, they were my preseason pick um, to get to the championship game, actually. And I'm going to go with them again because I think they, outside of Utah, have, have a pretty manageable road um, to get to the Elite Eight. At the south and in the west, uh, Dan just kind of verbally shook his head and threw up his And I'd have to agree with him. This is just one of those situations where like, the entire bracket is not awful. Um, and, and every single team has so many glaring flaws. But this could be another bloodbath. I'm going uh, I'm going Louisville and San Diego State uh, for this, uh, this Elite Eight. Just because I feel like SDSU could potentially give teams a lot of problems and grind them down, um, and I'm going to get hated on by somebody for this, but I, I just—it's hard for me to buy into the Zags year in and year out, especially when they fail to really beat anybody. Um, they cruise through a deplorable conference schedule um, and then lose in the tournament. So once again, uh, I, I don't see them lasting very long in the tournament. And and I think San Diego State, despite having probably one of the worst teams of the Steve Fisher era, um, could find themselves further than they've been um, in the last decade. Okay, this year's gonna be. No, I was just saying this year's is just so we. It's gonna be so weird. I mean, we say this every year, but. Uh, it just seems like going into the tournament, this is why I said a couple times, even before the uh, postseason man came about, is like if Syracuse could just get in and then maybe you'd be playing right at the right time because, you know, they do have two fantastic players on the earth, three, starting to have three really good players on the roster. Uh, anything could happen come March just because a lot of these teams don't impress anyone. So, I mean, it's just it's going to be interesting uh, come March, I think you're going to see a lot, lot of upsets this year, and that's what we make. Yeah, we think it's fun, especially when Syracuse won't be in it. Yeah, yeah one, uh, one obvious that I'll go for it, Dan. I was just going to say, um, at least for me, I joined down here uh, with the Syracuse fan uh, fan base. Oh wait, no, uh, I really, I haven't been a part of a uh, postseason without Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. So it's going to be a very strange thing for me. I mean, obviously we've had a couple of years where we've gone out in the first weekend, and that makes it kind of like you weren't a part of it, at least once it gets to the Sweet 16, uh, especially if you're looking at an early Thursday game, which we I don't think we have in any of those losses. But it's going to be a weird feeling filling out your bracket and not having, like, your Syracuse wins at all bracket for the the ones that you don't really care about losing money on or the ones that, you know, or, or even uh, 2009, 2010, when I was pretty sure Syracuse wasn't going to win it. So um, I think I'll still be excited about the NCAA tournament. Uh, I'll have to. I mean, I'll have to be excited about it because of my line of work. But uh, it's going to be strange not to at least have uh, one weekend of, of rooting interest in in a team, rather instead it'll just all be all about the the normal, you know wonderfulness that is the NCAA tournament and all the random upsets and whatnot. But I don't know. I'm still excited for it, but it, it is a little uh, – it will be a little sad once March rolls around and we're, we're out before even the conferences start. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I remember those tournaments. Um, I was at I was at SU when they happened, and I was not thrilled. Uh, this year, um, I'm going to just be doing my usual uh, once Syracuse is out. Is that rooting against teams like Duke and Georgetown and Villanova and Kentucky, uh, just because it's fun to do that. Um, and just wanted to slip in one team that should definitely be on upset alert. Uh, Georgetown LSU seems like a perfect situation for an upset. And obviously, if you're going to pick a team that's going to lose to a double-digit seed, uh, what better team than the Hoyas, who have done so in I think it's four straight uh, NCAA tournaments at least. Obviously, much more egregious than a 6-11 upset, but nonetheless, they have lost to a double-digit seed uh, for many, many years in a row. I really wish NCAA would find a way to put, like, uh, and it will require a, a little bit of work on, on the ACC part to knock out Duke a couple times, but if they could find a way to put, like, actually, I don't think Duke is fair because they've won tournaments recently. They also get upset, but we need, like, Georgetown... Texas, Notre Dame, and one more team that who who also loses like in the tournament early every year. Uh, hmm. Iowa State does, but they're not like the they're most egregious there. Did they? No, Iowa State lost. Uh, like in the second round, they lost to UConn. No, they lost to UConn in the Elite Eight. Or no, they lost to UConn. Oh yeah, 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 right. One of those two. UConn, UConn beat Michigan State in the final. No, in the. Um, one of the, those were the two teams they beat in New York, Iowa State and uh, Michigan ah. State. So who's another? And Iowa State should have beat them, but UConn has like they've sold their soul, so obviously they won. Yeah. <laughs> I think of another choke artist that we could put in there. We're just, we're definitely not thinking it. Like we're definitely missing an obvious one. Um, <laughs> And the troll comment coming, it says, oh, you guys forgot Syracuse. Oh, shut up. Of course, of course <laughs> that'll come, but we made, a, we, made a, you know, we made a final four two years ago. Be quiet. Exactly. Um, yeah. I'm going to go. This is no, you know what? Baylor. Baylor is a perfect. I, that I works. If we're going to go with a team. Yeah, Baylor definitely works here. Do you bump Baylor up to the three line? So you have them as a three. You have uh, Texas. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't really matter how the seating works. Baylor, Georgetown, Texas, and Notre Dame. I don't know how those all fit in the same like fourteen block, but that'd be a that'd be a fun one. Because because uh, one of those teams would have to advance, I guess, out of those four. But I'm not convinced <laughs> that one would. Yeah, I'd buy it. Uh, the all-choke bracket would be entertaining. Uh, I feel like this could be some good conversation in the comments. Be uh, kind of like, who is the all? Again, I unfortunately, I feel like any all-choke team would would probably include us. Um, but at the same time, we do make Final Fours. We do win it all. And I think that would at least help us out in, in the short-term part of the conversation. If we're in there, then you have to put Duke in there, too. And Kansas. Fair. Fair. Kansas in particular. Um, and for the Kansas most part, outside of, more yeah, outside of uh, the year they won it all and the year they lost to Kentucky, um, they've really fallen short of expectations in recent years, uh, especially in the tournament. 
So yeah, th- those are all those big candidates. But yeah, I think that's a good place to close things out here. Uh, considering there's nothing to play for, the fact we were able to talk about things for an hour is good. Um, so yeah, everyone, thanks for tuning in to Troy Noon's an Absolute Podcast. I'm John. That was Dan and Jared. Thanks, guys, for joining in, as always. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, guys. Go Orange. Of course. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.